0: If you caught the live stream last week, you know that beginning today, we are uh, during our Sunday services. We are just doing um, a life stage snapshot, so to speak, and th- you can kind of think of it. Various family ministry leaders from our church will be up here, um, almost like, in some ways, a children's sermon throwback, going back to, going back to that. Only we're going to be speaking to uh, some of the various ages of and life stages of our church family. And today is a children's message. And so I see some kiddos out there. And if your kiddos at home have left the room, um, if you want to gather them together, these next five to 10 minutes are going to be focused just towards them. And if you're in the auditorium or if you are here in the sanctuary, you will want to make sure that you can see see these screens. So as we're transitioning, kids, I just want you to know some of the things in this world have gotten so far away from our our Father's heart, from God's heart. And it depends on how much you've heard on TV or maybe how much you've heard adults talking. Um, But right now, there are just some really, really sad events that are happening. And these things that are tearing us apart, sometimes they can be temptations towards anger, towards hatred, towards bitterness. We just want you to know today that makes God very, very sad. In fact, Jesus came to show us a very different way to live. And he gave us his word and he told us stories about how we can live. And Jesus came to show us that every person that God created is an important person. No matter how clever or not clever you are, no matter how rich or poor you are, no matter what the color of your skin, every person is invited into this circle of love, is invited into God's family. Now, each of you have a physical family that you're a part of, but there's also a spiritual family that God likes to talk about and where he is our ultimate good father. And we just want you to know today... That Jesus says you are an important, significant part of His family. Now, some of you have had a chance. Perhaps some of your families have had a chance to pick up your uh, kit, and maybe you've opened it today. These are the T3 Kids Family Kits that uh, have uh, we've been we've been promoting. Um, so, if if you've opened it already, you'll know that our key sentence for today is every person has talents and gifts to offer. And God wants to use our gifts to help our neighbors, both here and far. And so, um, yeah, in your families today, you're going to be talking about the gifts and the talents and the way that God is inviting you to use those gifts and those talents. But for right now, let's take a look about what Jesus says about including everyone in his spiritual family that we are a part of. And this is taken from uh, the Jesus Storybook Bible by Sally Lloyd-Jones. And the title of it is The Friend of Little Children. I think there might be some slides up there. Jesus' friends were arguing, who was the most important helper in God's kingdom? They wanted to know. I am, James said. No, you're not, said Peter, I am. Nonsense, Matthew said. I'm the cleverest. No, you're not. Yes, I am. Yes, no, am too. This silliness went on and on like that for some time. You see, Jesus' friends had started thinking they had to do something to make themselves special to Jesus. That if they were the cleverest or the nicest or something, that Jesus might like them the best. But they had strayed. They had forgotten something. Something God had been teaching his people all through the years. That no matter how clever you are or how good you are or how rich you are or how nice you are or how important you think you are, none of it really makes any difference. Because God's love is a gift. As anyone will tell you, the whole thing about a gift is it's free. You reach out your hands And you take it, and here I'm going to insert my own. And then your life becomes a thank you note, a thanks to God for this incredible gift. So while Jesus' friends were over-arguing, some people who knew all about getting good gifts. In fact, you might say these were gift experts had come to see Jesus. Who were they? They were little children. Jesus' helpers tried to send them away. Jesus doesn't have time for you, they said. He's too tired. He's too busy. Oh, but they were wrong. Jesus always had time for children. Don't ever send them away, Jesus said. Bring the little ones to me. Now, if you had been there, what do you think? Would you have to line up quietly in a quiet row to see Jesus? Do you think Jesus would have asked how good you've been before he'd give you a hug? Would you have to be on your best behavior and get dressed up and not speak until you're spoken to? Hmm, that's not how I imagine it. Or would you have just been able to do what children do, run straight up to Jesus, and let him pick you up in his arms, and swing you, and kiss you, and hug you, and then sit on his lap, and listen to his stories, and have him listen to yours. You see, children loved Jesus, and they knew they didn't need to do anything special for Jesus to love them back. All they needed to do was to run into his arms, and so that's just what they did. Well, after all the laughing and games, Jesus turned to his helpers and said, No matter how big you grow, never grow up so much that you lose your child's heart, full of trust in God. Be like these children. They are the most important in my kingdom. And part of being in God's kingdom that he asks us to do is to encourage and to bless one another. And so from generation to generation to generation, this has been a part of Sundays, of Sabbathing together, is that we bless and encourage one another. We bless the gifts in our lives that we see, and we encourage one another as we walk this journey. And so I've asked Uncle Carl if he would come and do a special blessing for us, um, as he is a spiritual, I don't know, uncle, father for, for many of us here. <laughs>
1: towards children, but we're all children. We all need a father. And so the story Katie read for all the kids, I just want to thank you children for your amazement and wonderment of life. And for the way you question, and yet you have a deep but simple faith. And just the joy that you give. So I want to thank all of you children out there and all who are here for being models for us for that. And when I look at blessings, I need to simplify things. I'm the simple Corver, And so I thought, well, what is blessing? Actually, so for all the little ones out there, when God blesses us, he encourages us. He helps us. He walks with us. He provides for us. So as I pray for us now, we're going to first of all thank God and, and, and bless him. And then I'm going to have a prayer of blessing over you as well. So let's pray. Good Father we honor and affirm and bless your goodness to us. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for always being with us. And thank you for accepting us just as we are. Thank you for including us into your family and for sending your son Jesus to show us how to be family through loving you and our neighbors. And now little ones, please open your hearts to your perfect father who made you, yes, you in his image, There is no one else like you, and that's just the way God wants it. So accept who you are and start to understand how deeply valued and cared for you are. God has plans for you, and never forget that nothing and no one can ever separate you from his love. So keep your hearts open to his love, and if you choose to do that, little ones, he will never let you go. Dear Jesus, continue to open the hearts of these beautiful children to receive your blessing, your friendship, your encouragement and hope so they can do the same thing with their family, friends, and neighbors. Thank you, Jesus, for being in charge and also for being so kind. We pray all these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen.
2: Thank you, Katie. Me, Carl.
1: I did not know what they
2: were going to talk about, so let me just continue the children's motif. When I was a, probably in elementary school and junior high, they, I, had a, I had a favorite Sunday in our churches growing up. Let me try to describe it for you. Before I do that, let me tell you about our home. We had five boys, and we loved to eat. So when we got to be about junior high, senior high, my mom would make 10 pounds of potatoes. She'd have five pounds of meat. We'd drink a gallon of milk. We'd eat a loaf of bread, and then we had ice cream afterwards. We loved to eat. We just loved to eat. We just ate and ate. My, in fact, my mom went to the grocery store every day. Just filled it up. We emptied it every day. We just, we just loved to eat. But here's my story. There was one Sunday every year that was so cool. It was a Sunday when we had a church potluck. Wow. You know, the, the old people like me, you know what I'm talking about? They're, like, they're, the, the, t- the, the tables were like, you know, and you just and you just walk around. And you just go, wow! It's just, you just want to try everything, and, you, and the food was so great, and we never ran out. What if the kingdom of God is like a potluck and not a soup kitchen? To flourish in exile. We're invited to be generous. But how do we see ourselves? Do we see ourselves on this side of the table offering something to someone who has nothing if our hearts are open and kind? Or do we see everyone joining with us on both sides, eating at the potluck as much as we want? Well, that's, that's the idea. Potluck this morning. Could you open your Bibles to Acts chapter 2, please? And before I read the scriptures, just a quick review from last week. We're going to focus on the potluck theme. Now, remember last week, Acts chapter 2, we're looking at Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 4. Let's review quickly last week. David may have slide 2 and then 3. So last week I said the love of money, worship of money, does three things. This comes from 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. The love of money, we talked about, wounds the worshiper. It does something to us. We talked about it woos us away from the faith, and we talked about it welling up in all sorts of evil. This comes from Fickert and Holt and some of the guys wrote a book called The King's Economy. So the concern that I tried to raise last week was simply put in a sentence What if worship? is primarily an economic issue. And what I meant by that was, in Jesus' words in Matthew 6, wherever your treasure is, that's where one's heart is. So if I treasure, I long for, I think about money and things like money, all those stuff, my heart just goes that direction, and then opposite, if my heart is for Jesus and his life and reign, then my heart goes that, and that's where I put my treasure. Do you remember what the passage in Matthew 6, Jesus said, so the eyes represent the heart. Tell you what a person is like. If the eyes are bright, the heart is generous. If the eyes are dark and tight and closed, the heart is stingy. And then Jesus said what? You cannot love God and the demon called Mammon. And then I went to 1 Timothy chapter 6, and I said, the love, the worship of money, wounds us. It woos us away, seduces us away from the faith, and it wells up in all sorts of evil. Then I said, slide three, this is what economics professors, those who study economics in America, say we are like. So this is the definition. It's about 100 years old now. Homo economicus, which means the human... Um, the human economic, the human economics. So this is, what, this is how they describe the American dream today. People are at their core solitary. We're all on our own. We're striving on our own. We're achieving on our own. Individuals whose lives are devoted to pleasure. What can I do next for pleasure through the consuming of more and more consumer goods And the goal at the end of our life is to have so much money, so much in retirement, that we can just have an easy life of leisure. So I said, now go back to the previous slide, please, David. So wounds the worshiper, woos us away from faith, wells up in evil. Look at the next slide. Look what happens. That's what happens to people who love money. So thou, what's the antidote to this? It is a potluck. So let me give you an example of potluck. Acts chapter two, 42 to 47. and then read Acts chapter four, two verses, and then we'll come back to something else. Acts chapter two. look at the potluck here. They devoted verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God, enjoying favor of all the people, and the Lord added daily to their numbers who were being saved. Turn over to chapter 4, Acts chapter 4, beginning at verse 32. All the believers were one in heart and mind. 4.32 All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed they had any possessions as their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, they continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work among them that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them and brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to everyone who had need. Now, can you look up for a second? So what typically, go go back to this slide. When we read those words, what do we see? Socialism. Communism. Well, let me give you a little history behind the earliest church. This comes from the first century. The first believers gathered for common meals, prayer, worship, and teaching. Why? Life at that time, would have been very tough. And many, many people struggled to survive. But day after day, after the Holy Spirit came, they gathered in one place and did what? They feasted, they shared, they heard the words of Jesus or the Old Testament prophets, and they saw signs and wonders. Then what happens? But the greatest miracle of all was the community itself. Now listen to these next two sentences. 2,000 years ago, survival of all the people in Jerusalem depended on a community, a kin group, from which you gained your identity and from which you were able to make a living. But if you did not have a kin group, what would you do? So now in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit gets poured out and there's all these people. And people from all over the world are touched by the risen Jesus. And they can become part of this new church. And they got no money. They got no food. They're way, way, way from their homes. They don't have a kin group. So what did they have? Sociologists said they formed F-I-C-T-I-V-E, kinship groups that acted like families. And then if someone had something, they brought it to the buffet. And the people gathered at the potluck, and everyone brought whatever they had. So in the first seven, five to seven years, watch this, all these people who are still part of this growing Christian community people worked if they could they earned a living as they could and every day they would come together and there would be just one big potluck everyone brought whatever they could bring and together they shared and what happened it spread through the world 12 disciples 72 disciples 120 Jesus ascends 500, and a short time later, 4 million followers of Jesus. How? Everyone was asked to bring something and receive something from the potluck. I'll go back to the slide two again, David, no, or slide three. I'm sorry. So look at this. If our core, we are solitary people whose, life, whose desire it is to just keep increasing our pleasure through consuming as much material goods as we can so that we can just have leisure. What does a church look like? It looks like a soup kitchen. Okay, you people who have nothing. You come here and we'll help you maybe, maybe, maybe. How different it was when the earliest church said, no, we will be a F-I-C-T-I-V-E group. And if you don't have family, what did Jesus say to those who followed him? Those who follow me do not lose their father or mother or their brother or sister. What did Jesus say? you're going to gain brothers and sisters why because everyone is invited to the potluck now you see how different looks life looks if we understand that we're together now um, let me just stop for a second and let me point let me tell, let me be vision casting but i think it's going to happen in our country uh, umbrella mercy one of the ways we can bring hope and life to this nation is if we will start organizing potlucks in our homes. Different urban churches across the country do something like this. And this is a flaming introvert talking here now. Yeah, I know, I'm with you. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Once a week, twice a month, They say to their neighbors, in tenement homes, in apartments, in neighborhoods, once a month, at 6.30, come to our house. Everybody brings something. And what happens if in neighborhoods, instead of driving into our homes, we just close the door, or whatever we do to isolate, what would happen if all of a sudden, just once a month, twice a month, we create potlucks. And all of a sudden, people, neighbors, aren't just people far away. They become people with whom we have relationships. And what if people different from us start to become our friends? How does the kingdom of God impact a culture? When we choose to break bread together. But this is a challenge, let's not go easy. Look over to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, would you please? So this is now 30 years after what you saw in the first years of the church. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 17. But look at what has happened to the local church. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 17. St. Paul is speaking. In the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings, your worship services, your times together do more harm than good. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you, and to some extent, I believe it. Now, he's, he be, he's sarcastic, next verse. No doubt there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval, which is exactly what Pastor Katie was talking about. So then, when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper you eat. Now look at this now, verse 21. For when you are eating, some go ahead with your own private supper. As a result, one person remains hungry, and another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not in this matter. Now, look what he says. For I receive from the Lord what I also pass on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup... You proclaim the Lord's death when he comes. So then now look at the next phrase. Whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. What's the unworthy manner? Verse 21. For when you are eating, some of you go ahead with your own private supper. As a result, one person gets hungry and another gets drunk. Verse 28. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ eat and drink judgment on themselves. So what are we talking about? We're talking some of us have wealth and some of us have none. So what's happened at the worship gatherings? So typically, let me just explain this in the worship gatherings in the earliest church, it was always around a meal, food, real food. As a part of real food, they would at some point share the Lord's Supper. Let me just walk you through this now. So if they had this common time, a buffet, a a potluck where they're to share with each other, they would move to a time of worship. And typically, typically, an umbrella here, in relatively smaller settings in homes, they would have people facing each other. So the worship experience would be people kind of facing each other, somewhat like we used to do in the chairs in the other way. And so you could see each other. And someone would read some words of Jesus, recite words from Jesus. Someone would read a psalm. Someone would sing a song. Philippians 2, 5 through 11, it's called the kenosis passage. It's one of the first hymns of the church. And then at some point, their service would stop and they had what was called Passing the Peace. What was the purpose of Passing the Peace? If previously, when they were supposed to have a potluck, and those who were in the corner, eating and drinking by themselves, getting drunk, and forgetting everyone else, before they had the Lord's Supper, what were they supposed to do? They were supposed to get up and pass the peace, which meant what? Would you forgive me for treating you like a poor loser, or would you forgive me for arrogantly judging you because you are successful? And they would pass the peace with each other, asking for forgiveness. And what did Saint Paul write? You need to examine yourself before you eat. And then what does he say? Some of you have gotten sick and died. Now, this is what's so interesting to me. In our tradition, we have kept children from the Lord's Supper using this passage. There is nothing in this passage about kids. Zero. It's all about us. And so St. Paul says, do I have anything good? Oh, no, you're breaking, our, you're breaking the heart of the Lord. So what's, so? if I had my way, we can't do it because we have so many people, we wouldn't give you just a little piece of bread and a little cup. If we could do it, we need to have hunks of bread. After a potluck. And then we do intinction but we can't because of COVID. But having one little piece of bread and one little cup is not at all like what it was intended to be. It was intended to be a potluck where everyone is welcome and everyone brings something and everyone receives something. And that's how the church exploded, but not in Corinth. Let me talk you through this just a little bit now. Next slide six, please, David. So, from the book, The King's Economy, comes this. I love this picture. They encourage us to learn to be cross shaped givers. And by that, they mean there is a vertical dimension for, sure, for, for uh, giving, and there is a horizontal. What's the vertical? It is giving worth to God by the gifts we give. It is saying, Lord, you are worthy of our praise and our honor, and I choose not to worship mammon. I choose to worship you, and I want to give something. So all of us are asked to give something. So there's a vertical dimension to cross shaped giving, but there's also this one. What if, what if in the kingdom, the king's economy, We are asked to give for Christ and his kingdom in honor and praise. But what if we're also asked to give in ways that create community? So I said this to you last week and people asked for some clarification. I want to say thank you again for your cross-shaped giving. I would challenge you, if you don't believe me, Go look at the giving of churches over 2,000 in America, and find out what percentage is given away. Last year, you gave away 32 percent. We gave away 32 percent. Why is that important? Because it offers worship this way, but it also goes this way. So how many hungry have been fed from that 32%? How many babies were blessed through Bethany? How many wells were dug in Africa? How about the new church plant that's coming from an African-American pastor whose tuition and salary were paid for by this church, who were planting a church north of Pella? And we were helping. How, How many? How much? How many? This way and this way. Now just being bring it home personally. As you think about whatever resources you have, how do you understand those resources? How are you using them? How does your worship this way and your worship this way reflect the cross? For God so loved the world, He gave everything. He gave. What are we asked to do? Create potlucks. Invite people in. Let me give you really fun. For those who are diehard Calvinists, I found a quote from John Calvin. Here we go. Slide seven. How's this? Old JC, not Jesus Christ, John Calvin. Let us remember this sacred feast, the Lord's Supper. Look, at, look what Calvin said 500 years ago. The Lord's Supper is medicine for the sick. Calvin believed people should be healed participating at the Lord's Supper. Calvin said what? It is comfort for the sinners. Why? Because our sins are forgiven. And Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. And what's the last? It's bounty for the poor. For those who don't have much, come to the meal. Come join us. Bring whatever you can bring. But let's share it together. So, number eight. Now, how do you feel about this one? Generosity in the king's economy is fundamentally oriented toward worship and welcome. What do I mean by that? Wherever my treasure is, that's where my heart is. If my heart is warm to Christ and His kingdom, then I understand I'm just, I'm just, I'm part of the potluck. I get to join with others at the potluck, and I give what I can give, and you give what you can give, and together, oh, do you understand how different this is? But go back to um, homo economicus. If the purpose of money is for me to live a solitary life, where I live a life of leisure, by accumulating as much possessions as I can, So I can do really, really well and do whatever I feel like when I die. How different that is. And what did Jesus say to his disciples then and to us? But you cannot serve God and money. We love the one and we hate the other. Or we hate the one and we love the other. Jesus said what? Seek first my kingdom and my righteousness. So what's the kingdom like? Oh, let me take you back now, five weeks. What's the kingdom like? It's like a circle of love. It's a circle of love. And in that, there is relationships and submission and honor and celebration and joy. And that is where we're supposed to live together. So let me do this, number nine. Then we'll, I'm going to move ahead here. So what did I say suggest last week? Here's some ways, just some ways, to we can flourish in exile through generosity. Um, choose some acts, some simplicity. Choose to be grateful. Um, I think it's a lady whose last name is Voskamp wrote a book about having a box in which you put things you're grateful for. Some people in our church have done it, and they said they put for a year, at the end of every day, one or two things they were grateful for. At the end of the year, they reviewed what they were grateful for, and they were all amazed at how grateful they had become. How about contentment? Learning to be content with what you have. And then being generous, however God calls you. How about this one for this week? What would happen if all of us, in some way, small or large, organize a potluck? How about an ice cream potluck? How about a candy potluck? How about a coffee potluck? For some of you who like adult beverages and can hold it in a small amounts, how about a different kind of potluck? How about a food potluck? How about a, be creative. But what you want to do is invite people. Just a couple, just start small. And what would happen if over time you keep sharing a potluck with new friends? People perhaps you don't know. Or perhaps people you don't even like. What would happen if you actually sat together? And instead of shooting text and email bombs, if we just said, could you tell me some of your story? What makes you happy? What brings sorrow? And maybe somewhere in there, you just pray a simple prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy. How sweet that might be. Can we? Do you feel with social distancing you could talk for like two minutes with someone close by? Is that okay? Slide ten. If you're okay with it, if you don't want to do it, you don't have to. But how about how about the second question? How how is your heart? Let's do the first one. How is my relationship with money shaping how I relate to God and others? Could we just take like like a actually a minute? I have two minutes and thirty seconds. Let's take two minutes. Could you just answer that first question to someone close by? How is your relationship with money shaping? And this is, this is not about shaming. This is just how is this, how's this affecting my heart? And your marks get set, auditorium, home, everywhere, go. All right. Thank you. We're trying to talk to each other again. A couple people, just anybody want to just shout something out and I'll repeat it so home can hear it, other room can hear it. Anybody? Anything? Just, just turn, turn your heart as you just talked. Yes, Lane. So I should, I overthink things. Lane overthinks. Lane said she overthinks, she overthinks, and then she just spins on what to do. She said, ask the Lord, what, what are some simple things I could do to just, to just be open of heart? Anyone else? One more? Yes, Kathy. Well, it doesn't necessarily have to be financial or food. You can say, hey, I'm heading out this way. Do you want to come with me? Or uh, I'm going to that class. You want me to pick you up? That kind of stuff. Sure. Kathy said it can be other ways of... of creating potlucks? What about giving rides, taking someone with you? Just, just small ways to interact with each other. Absolutely. One more? Anybody? One more? Yes. Deb. Deb says, here's a new neighbors living close by. Here's a chance to just take a step out. Great, fantastic, thank you. Let me offer a prayer then as we continue to be potluckers. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank and praise you that you are so faithful. Great is thy faithfulness, O God our Father. You've been faithful to us in ways large and small, to our nation, to our families, to this community, to your world. We want to acknowledge and say thank you. Would you help us to reflect that generous heart? Help us to be creative, to be open, In small ways, help us to welcome others to the potluck with you. We love you, Lord, and we thank you you've invited us. Now help us to invite others. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.